morning, Sun West. Uh, we are in, uh, I think, what is it, week five uh, out of our seven-week series as we look at the, the values of Sun West. These are the words that we've chosen to live by, uh, and the words that we choose to live by are important, as we've been saying every single week. Uh, the things that we speak out loud are the things that create culture. They actually change the world around us. They change the world as we experience and also the world that people experience. Uh, and so we have to choose our words carefully. And as a community that wants to represent Jesus, we also have to choose our words carefully, the words uh, that we're going to anchor ourselves around. And so we've been going uh, week by week through the values of SunWest, and uh, we find ourselves at the value of transformation this morning. Uh, and our line to describe transformation is, change starts in me. Can you say that with me? Change starts in me. Now, I don't know if this is just me, but maybe you've experienced it, and I know you have because I've, I've seen it, uh, but have you ever showed up at a church service or maybe you've been listening to a podcast uh, and you've heard something really profound and you have had this thought, I really wish uh, so-and-so was listening to this. You know, you've sat beside somebody and, 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 you know, you're listening to a sermon and you've done an album. How many of you guys are given that album? It's like, hey, this is, this is what you need to be listening to. Uh, it's amazing. We really, really have a good idea of what other people need to be listening to, what other people need, uh, the problems that other people have, the advice that they need to listen to. Uh, this is just our default, and I'm just as guilty as anyone of doing this. Uh, and yet the reality is that when we think about change in the world, and you might look at the news feed, Dave was just praying, we look at change in the world, we're like, the problem is this. The problem is them. The issue really isn't me, it's this person, and they need to be listening to this. Uh, and the Bible speaks about transformation from the beginning to the end, that God is doing something. He wants heaven to come to earth. He wants our world and the world around us to be transformed, and that is true, and, and we know that intuitively, uh, but there's a little bit of a lie that creeps in that we think the change that needs to happen in the world is out there. In reality, the change that has to happen is in here, because what we create comes out of who we actually are. You know, this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God, and we've, we've taught and we spoke on this much at SunWest, uh, but when we understand who we are in God's image, it actually impacts the world that we create. God gave us the capacity as human beings to create a world that doesn't yet exist. This is why we have the, such potential as human beings to create uh, something beautiful, but also the potential to create something devastated and horrific. We're different than the rest of creation in that way. We have been given the capacity to impact the world around us. And so who we are, what we believe is true, has a significant impact on who we become, uh, but also what the people around us and the world around us, what it experiences. Um, and so change, becoming somebody, uh, is critically important when we think that the world needs to change. We actually have to turn inward and, and realize that it's not the world that needs to change. It's probably me that needs to change. And when we talk about the world, and when the Bible talks about the world, it means a bunch of things, but what, one of the things it means when it uses the, f the phrase, the world, it's talking about the collective heart of individuals, the collective culture as individuals come together. So when we say the world, really what that is, is the expression collectively of what is in people's hearts in the general population, and that takes, that takes over in culture, right? So that's what the world's referring to. G.K. Chesterton uh, is famous for answering an invitation to write an essay. Uh, uh, I think it was the New York Times that said, uh, we want somebody to kind of 
give four their thoughts on the question, what is wrong with the world? And he sent in his essay, and his essay said this. I am. And so profound, and it's so true. And this is the critical crux of the Christian faith. Is that until we realize that we are, as human beings, what is broken with the world, the world will remain unchanged. Transformation starts from the inside out. Change starts in me. And you'll notice that I'm not saying change starts with me. That's very different. I am not the cause of the change in the world. So when we talk about transformation, our phrase is not change starts with me. It's change starts in me. I'm not the cause of transformation. Jesus is. But I allow Jesus to change me first. God is the source of change. And I truly, truly believe that the greatest gift that you can give to the world is the transformation of your character. The greatest gift that you can give to your spouse is the transformation of your character. The greatest gift you can give to your family is the transformation of your character. The greatest gift you can give to your community is the transformation of your character. And the greatest gift that you can give to yourself is the transformation of your character. If God wants to change the world, he's doing that through changing individuals from the inside out. And so your task, your invitation is actually to hold up a mirror and say, am I willing to be transformed as a person from the inside out? And that is a gift to yourself, but it's also a gift for everybody Around you, And this is the invitation for every follower of Jesus is to be transformed and to become like Jesus. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as God's Spirit works, right? So as you choose to follow Jesus and he gives you his Holy Spirit, as God's Spirit works within us, we are being transformed to become more like Christ. This change from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord. It's God who does it. It's the transformation that happens over time. It's the Holy Spirit working from the inside of us to the outside. I love the way Eugene Peterson says this in the message. He says, our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Change starts in me, and the source of that change is God through his Spirit bringing transformation from the inside out into the world. We can see this clearly reflected in the life of a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we're going to work our way through the story of Nicodemus, and he occurs in John's gospel at three different points, one at the beginning, one in the middle, and then one time at the end. And we're going to spend most of our time looking at that beginning scene and then look at the middle and end scene as we get to the close of this message this morning. So it begins in John chapter 3, that Nicodemus, or there was now was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee as part of the religious leadership group. Uh, not only was he a part of the, le- the leadership group as a teacher, as a Pharisee, he was part of the Jewish ruling ca- council. So he was a teacher of teachers. He was a ruler of rulers. This Jewish council was called the Sanhedrin. And so he is way up on the ladder of the Jewish hierarchy of important people that got their stuff together, that know the scriptures, that are teaching the scriptures. So Nicodemus is a smart, smart guy. In fact, most of the rooms that he went in, he was the smartest person in the room. Have you ever gone into the room, a room and been the smartest person in the room? 
This is Nicodemus all the time. He walks in, he's like, I'm the smartest person in this room. He had all the answers. Uh, and so he was this Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, except he began to become infatuated with this man named Jesus. Like everybody else, he had heard of Jesus. He had probably witnessed some of Jesus' miracles. He would heard him doing some teaching, and he was curious. And this was a precarious situation to be as the leader of leaders who had all the answers to come to meet this man and encounter this person that seemed to be having different teachings and answers and a significant amount of power that Nicodemus didn't even have himself. And so this caused Nicodemus to question a lot of things. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And so he comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid. You might think, what is he afraid of? Well, he's not afraid of Jesus, but he's afraid of losing favor. He's afraid of losing position. He's, he has too much on the line. His reputation is on the line. What if people heard him talking to Jesus, saw him talking to Jesus? What if people heard the questions that he wanted to ask? We thought, Nicodemus, you were the guy with all the answers. And you show up to Jesus, and you have all of these questions. And so he had a lot on the line. And so he comes to Jesus at night because he couldn't deny his own curiosity. He knew there was something different about this person, Jesus, something that he wanted to understand at least. That Jesus had something that he didn't have, even in light of all of his schooling and upbringing and training. Jesus had something that Nicodemus didn't have. And so out of his curiosity, he goes to Jesus at night afraid because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to lose his reputation and his position, but he just can't deny his own curiosity. Who is this man? He knows that he came from God. He said, I know you come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, just a quick note that the word signs in the Gospel of John uh, is a recurring word, and it's used in place of the word miracles. In fact, nowhere in the Gospel of John does John ever use the word miracle. Every miracle that John does, he calls it a sign. Because John wants us to understand something. That everything that Jesus is doing, every miracle that he's doing is a sign that is pointing to a greater reality. Is a sign that is pointing to a different dimension that is beyond the dimension that every other human being is living in. In fact, John, as you read, you'll see that John wants us to see that what Jesus is doing is bringing heaven to earth. And so what Jesus is doing, the miracles he's doing, are not the end point. The point of what Jesus was doing is to get people to be curious enough to say, what in the world or where in the world is this coming from? And the answer is not from this world, it's from heaven. And heaven is invading earth. And God himself came to earth in the form of Jesus. And, John's, and Jesus' miracles are a sign pointing us to a greater world and reality. And so Nicodemus doesn't realize this yet, but he knows that he's seeing and witnessing something that isn't normal. It's not business as usual. And so Jesus is doing these things. He's clearly from God. He's doing these things that are pointing as a sign to somewhere else, to a different type of reality, to something that Nicodemus is curious about that he wants in his own life. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. And this word born again... It's gotten a bad rap over the years uh, because it's been kind of cloaked in political agenda, political Christian agenda, and it started to mean a whole bunch of other things other than what Jesus meant when he was talking about it. 
similar to the word evangelical when it's used in our culture. It has a whole bunch of connotations that Jesus wasn't really intending. But what Jesus is saying is that there's a new kind of life that is available. And you won't be able to understand what I'm doing unless you experience new life. And Nick, Nicodemus is trying to wrap his head around this because he's a smart guy. He's, he went to school. He's at the top of the ladder. And he's saying, how does this even work. I mean, how do I become born again? I am six feet tall now, and I was six ounces when I was born. And so as a six-foot-tall person, I'm not sure how I would get back in my mother's womb. And even if I decided that I was willing to do that, I think I would have a hard time convincing my mom that this was a good idea. Uh, And so he's he's just going through this mental exercise, like, Jesus, what on earth are you talking about? And Jesus continues. He says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. So again, Jesus talks about being born, this new type of life. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What Jesus is saying is what we know intuitively, like gives birth to like. Essence gives birth to essence. We are created in the image of those who gave birth to us. This is just common understanding. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to experience this new kind of life. And I know you're struggling to understand what this means, but if you want a different kind of life, you have to have a different kind of birth. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you remember the day that you were born? Nobody. You don't remember the day? Do you remember the struggle that that was for you? No, you don't. You don't. Because the birth... The pain, the work, the labor, it had nothing, nothing to do with you. You didn't put in any effort to be born. It happened and you were here. Jesus is telling us that this, by nature of using the language of birth, that there is something that is beyond our capacity that actually needs to happen to us. Jesus is doing this thing that he keeps doing, and the thing that he keeps doing is commanding people to do something that is impossible for them to do. Jesus is saying, you need to do this. And the response is, I can't. And this is the environment that faith is birthed. This is the environment where we choose to put our trust into Jesus. We'll come back to this in a second. And and so there's this play on words that's happening. Wind is the same word as spirit. You hear it sound, but you cannot... Uh, tell where it comes from, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Uh, and, and so Jesus is helping Nicodemus trying to understand that this thing, this wind, this Spirit, this thing that I'm describing is not you, and it's, you can't control it. It's from outside of yourself, just like the wind. Nicodemus is like, how can this be? He's scratching his head. Remember, he, it's not like he's disbelieving Jesus. He just doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. You've asked me to do the impossible. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, or the disciples bring to Jesus this problem, and they say, there's all these people, there's no food, they're hungry, we need to send them away. And Jesus says, well, there's a problem, uh, but I want you to fix it, and I want you to feed everybody. And they say, how are we going to feed everybody? We only have five loaves and two fish. Exactly. So Jesus brought them to this place where they didn't have enough resources to respond to the problem. This is what Jesus does. He commands us to do something that we cannot do. Why does he do that? 
because he wants us to be dependent on him. He wants us to actually give control of our lives to him so he can transform us from the inside us out. God always asks us to do something that are beyond, that's beyond our capacity to do. So Nicodemus is struggling. How can this be? And this is exactly where Jesus wants Nicodemus to get to, this place of this is impossible. I don't know how to do this. Jesus, uh, I'm actually throwing away my degree because I don't understand what you're saying, and I'm completely dependent on what you are telling me and where you're leading me. Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. You're a smart guy, Nick. You should be able to figure this out. But yet you don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. What we speak, what we teach, our perspective comes out of what we know and what we've seen. This is what Jesus is saying. So he's telling Nicodemus, the reason that you don't understand what I'm saying is because you haven't seen what I've seen. The reason you don't understand what I'm saying is you don't know what I know. This is hard for Nicodemus to deal with because he's coming to grips with the reality that he doesn't know everything. That despite being the smartest person in the room, now he feels like he's the dumbest person in the room. In fact, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we're all in preschool. We're all in preschool. God invites us to this position of humility, of learning, of coming to the end of ourselves and and realizing that, you know, I can't have all the answers, that I am dependent on God, that I can't do what God is telling me to do myself. Now this is the beginning of a journey with Jesus. And so Nicodemus is getting to this point. Jesus says, I've spoken to you of earthly things that you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Jesus is saying, you don't understand it because I'm the only one that's come from heaven. I've seen heaven. I know what heaven is like. And I'm bringing you a heavenly perspective, and you don't understand it because all you have seen is what is here. Now, There are times throughout the Gospels where we get editorial comments from the person that's writing the Scriptures. And remember, they are writing these Scriptures after the resurrection of Jesus. And so they're giving us a historical account of what had happened, what Jesus has said. And then often they go back and they tell us what Jesus meant or the background of what is happening in light of what they knew after the resurrection. And so up until this point of the Nicodemus story, John is telling us what, it, what was happening in that historical moment. This is what Jesus said. This is how he responded. Jesus refers to this moment in the Old Testament where the, the people of God were sick and Moses had to lift up this bronze snake and everybody who looked at it were healed. And so he refers to this and he's saying this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. Nicodemus is scratching his head because he doesn't understand what this means. In his world, the Son of Man, the Messiah, was going to come and he was going to be this military deliverer of Israel and restore their nation to prominence. And this is not lining up with what he assumed the Son of Man was all about. So this is all happening in the conversation. Then there's this editorial comment. And it's a comment that most people know. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But it's inserted by John after the resurrection to look back at this story that he's telling So we understand what it means. So this is John. So Jesus says this, and then John comes back and he writes, For, this is what he really meant. 
This is what Jesus was talking about, John saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So John is saying when Jesus was talking about being born again, when Jesus was talking about looking at the Son of Man just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, when he was explaining all these things that Nicodemus didn't understand, this is what he actually meant. For God so loved, and the word so means God loved the world in this way. We can see God's love demonstrated in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, anyone, everyone, no matter what your story is, no matter what your past is, anyone who believes, and as John is writing this, he's actually trying to figure out how to say it, and he uses this word that doesn't occur in anywhere else in Greek literature, the word that we read believes in our scriptures. The, the Bible is the only place that uses this word, because they didn't have a word, they didn't have a verb for it, and they take the word faith, pistuo, and they turn, or pistis, sorry, and they turn it into the verb pistuo. Whoever believes, whoever faiths, whoever puts their trust, and so we read this sometimes, we think this is about intellectual belief. Jesus isn't saying, whoever figures this out intellectually. Nicodemus had all the information. He knew his Bible better than any of us, but that information didn't equal transformation. The, the thing that happened, had to happen for Nicodemus is he had to put his trust, his faith, into Jesus. He had to act upon the truth that was being told to him. So God loved the world in this way that whoever, anybody, no matter what your story is, believes and puts their trust into Jesus shall not perish but will have eternal life. The word eternal life is talking about a fullness of life that goes on forever and then it's combined with the word have, which is present tense. And, 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 and John realizes what is happening is that Jesus is offering us eternal life today. He's offering us a transformed life today. He's offering you the resources of heaven today on earth. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, it happens from time to time that when I'm driving on the highway and I see an ambulance and a fire truck on the side of the road and there's an accident and they're helping people on the side of the road who are injured and hurt. Uh, I see this happening all the time. People uh, are EMTs helping people that are hurting. And you know what I haven't seen? I haven't seen people, EMTs, show up on the scene and say, okay, what happened here? Who's in, who's in the wrong? Uh, if, 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 if you were at fault, then I'm not going to help you. If you're the victim, I'm going to help you. If you're at fault, I'm not going to help you. This is not what EMTs do, Right? They show up, no matter what the situation, doesn't matter who's at fault, if there's somebody hurting, they show up to bring healing, right? Jesus shows up not to condemn. Jesus shows up not to give healing and resources and salvation and deliverance. This is what the word saving means, to be healed, to be saved, to be delivered. He doesn't, he doesn't show up just to give it to some. He shows up to give it to everyone, he didn't show up to condemn the world. He showed up to save the world. And this is what Jesus was referring to when he used the term born again. You cannot do it on your own. Only God can do it in you. You can receive a new DNA, a new identity, 
become somebody that you weren't before. Lisa and I were talking with one of our sons yesterday, and we were talking about competitive sports. And uh, one, of our, one of our boys is a competitive mountain biker cyclist, uh, and he's really, really into this and competing against other kids uh, in his category, his age, age group. Uh, and there's one uh, peer that is quite a phenomenal rider, and, uh, and we were talking about them, and, and, and I said to him, I was like, well, did you know that so-and-so's uh, dad is a former Olympian? So I was like, what, really? Uh, not only was, his, was their dad a former Olympia, but their mom, uh, we, we looked up the mom on Wikipedia, and they had 40-plus international medals from international competition. Uh, so I said, the genes, the genes that this kid has are significant. And Joel says, well, you know, genes aren't the whole story, are they? Um, and Lisa and I were like, well, they're, yeah, they're a pretty big part of the story. Uh, so he's like, so the genes, I get determine how good of an athlete I can be. And Lisa's face, Lisa's face is growing, like, dimmer and sadder. Uh, my, my face is growing like, hey, this is a chance to, you know, stroke my own ego. And at the same time, I say, you're welcome. And, Le- and Lisa says, I'm sorry. We said those words at the same, we said those words at the same time. We all started laughing. You're welcome. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dad's got the ego. You're welcome. Uh, But our DNA and our, our genes uh, actually play a role in who we become. Through the Spirit, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new creation. We get a, a new DNA. But obviously, that's not the whole truth. And this is what we were trying to also tell Joel. That's the beginning. I mean, what people do with their DNA and their genes has to do with the choices that they make. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation. So it's a commandment. Followers of Jesus, continue you, me, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's something that only God can do, and there's some things that only you can do. Yes, God gives us a new DNA. When we become born again, we put our faith in him, and we become a new creation. But that's also joined with our our decision to cooperate with what God wants to do in our lives. When a baby is born, when somebody is, uh, when a human being is born, that is the beginning. They need to mature. They need to grow. They need to learn. They need to eat. They need to be taught. All these things need to happen. Yes, their DNA has changed, but there's a transformation of growth that has still yet to happen. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12 when he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Paul's saying, stop conforming, start transforming. And just allow me to get a little bit nerdy just for a second. Put on my Nicodemus nerd hat. Um, Transformed. It's the word that we get our word metamorphosis from. It it, it allows us to think of a a caterpillar and a butterfly. These two uh, seemingly different creatures that actually have the same DNA. A caterpillar has the same DNA as a butterfly, but one has been transformed. And so a caterpillar doesn't change its DNA when it goes from caterpillar to a butterfly. It has the same DNA, but it goes through a metamorphosis, a transformation. The word used in the Greek language is a present 
passive imperative. Okay, so what does this mean? In other languages, there's so much information tied into just one word. So this word is a present passive imperative, which means, first, the imperative, that it's a commandment. It's something that we are commanded to do, to be transformed. Second, passive means that we are not the initiators of the action. It's something that somebody else is doing. So just think about that for a second. You are being commanded to do that something that somebody else is doing. Yes. Present, meaning that this is something that is ongoing. The verb nature is an ongoing action. So we are ongoing, continually being transformed. We're commanded to be transformed as a commandment, but the person who is, in, who is responsible for the transformation actually isn't you. So here we see God doing again what he keeps doing. He's inviting us, commanding us to do something that we cannot do apart from him. Be transformed. What is our part? What role do we play? What role does God play? Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. Transformation starts in the mind. If you want to change your job situation, your money situation, your relationship situation, your addiction situation, it starts in the mind. The way that you think determines the way that you feel. And the way that you feel determines the way that you act. The way you think determines the way that you feel, and how you feel determines the decisions you make and the way that you act. But many of us try and change the way we act before we change the way that we think. If you want to change the way you act, you have to change the way that you feel. But if you want to change the way that you feel, you have to change the way that you think. All renewal starts in the mind. This doesn't mean that information equals transformation because Nicodemus had lots of information. What this means is that applying what is true to our lives will result in transformation. Every self-defeating behavior in your life is based on a lie that you believe to be true. Every self-destructive behavior in your life is based on a lie that you believe to be true. And that's why there's an emphasis on truth throughout the Scripture, because what we believe to be true as children of God impacts who we become and impacts the world that we create around us. That's also why the enemy is the deceiver, the accuser, who tries to convince us of lies, of things that aren't truth, because if we believe it, it impacts who we are and it impacts the world that we create around us. Change starts in me. And so Paul is saying, there's a transformation that needs to happen in your life that isn't dependent on you, but you have a role to play, and the role that you have to play is to be renewed in your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And so you have to start by thinking about what you think about, what you focus on. I've been in the, I've been in the process of trying to get a new vehicle in our household, um, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you start to think about uh, a new vehicle, and then you see all of the vehicles on the road of the ones that you were looking at buying. Has this happened to anybody? You never noticed them before, but all of a sudden they're everywhere. I see them everywhere, uh, and, it, and it just it, it fills my mind, I, and I'm a bit like that. I get on a one-track mind, and I, this is all I think about, and then I start seeing it everywhere. And this is just this is what happens, but think about that just on a higher level. If we're filling our mind with sexual images, 
and thoughts outside of the will of God, you begin to see that everywhere. If you are filling your mind and worry about finances and money and having stuff and acquiring status, you begin to see it everywhere, what everybody else has that you don't have. If you are filling your mind with your goals on your career and this is all you think about is climbing the corporate ladder, this is all you're thinking about and you're beginning to observe it everywhere. What we believe, what we think about, what we focus on impacts our life and impacts the world around us. So Paul is saying, start by renewing your mind. And what's the goal? What's the goal of a renewed mind? Well, the goal is the fruit of the Spirit. To become like Jesus. And Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the interesting thing about fruit is fruit is created out of the essence of what that tree is that's planted, right? And so if I, if I told you to come over to my house, I got these apples on my apple tree, and you came over and you saw this tree, and you saw that I had tied, I went to the grocery store and I bought these apples, and I tied them onto the tree, and you would think, that's really, really weird, right? But that's essentially what we do when we try and transform ourselves out of our own effort and action Because transformation is an inside job. Fruit is an inside job. Fruit happens out of the essence of what the tree is. And so we have to be transformed from the inside out if we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. Fruit comes from the inside out. And Paul is saying it starts in the mind, the renewing of the mind. And so what you think about, what you spend your time on, what you're investing in, actually gives the environment or doesn't give the environment for the Spirit to do a transforming work in your life. And when you do that, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What's God's will? The best definition of God's will that I know is when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer and he says, on earth as it is in heaven. God wants our lives to look more like heaven. He wants our world to look more like heaven. And if we can understand through the renewing of our mind what is in heaven, what's a part of heaven, and what isn't in heaven or a part of heaven then we know what we should be focusing on and what we should be getting rid of. And so what you think about, the things that you believe to be true, are critically, critically important. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's using warfare language. Before this, he's talking about weapons. He's saying you've got to demolish arguments. You've got to recognize what the lies are. You have to take captive every thought. You have to put it through the filter. Does this thought agree with the truth about Jesus? Does this thought agree with what is in heaven? And we take that thought captive. We release the, the God-honoring heavenly thoughts and we hold captive the worldly thoughts and lies. And if you really want to change, you need to know how to understand what the truth is that God teaches and then apply that truth to our life. If you want a different situation in your money life, in your finances, you have to understand what God says about finances and apply that truth to your life. You have to reject the lies about finances that you're being told. Same thing with sex, same thing with relationships, same thing with anything in our life. If we want transformation, we have to know what the truth is, take captive the thoughts that are opposed to God's truth, and we have to embrace and apply the truth that we see in God's word in Jesus. Now, back to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus had all this information. 
Again, information doesn't equal transformation, but understanding what the truth is and applying it to our lives does. So Nicodemus is a smart guy, he's the smartest guy in the room, but he has this invitation now to humble himself because of encounter with Jesus and rethink everything else that he's learned. To be dependent on Jesus. And did he do it or didn't he do it? And we know through the Gospel of John that he did. Even though Nicodemus was a religious leader, even though he was kind of at the top of the, the, the ladder, he was the smartest guy in the room, he was willing to rethink everything that he knew up until that point in his life. And so we have this event in John 7 where there's these temple, uh, where there's these guards, and they don't uh, capture Jesus even though he's... Uh, kind of rubbing everybody the wrong way. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders get offended and, and they say to them, you, has, has he deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Nobody's believing in him. But this mob knows nothing about the law. There's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus, what is the next word? Earlier, okay, we're going to come back to this, earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied to him, are you from Galilee too? That's where Jesus was from. Look into it and you will find out that a prophet does not come from Galilee. What's happening here in this moment? Nicodemus is beginning to put his career and his reputation on the line. There's this mob mentality and the Pharisees are saying, Jesus he's speaking blasphemy. He's not speaking truth. And Nicodemus is growing in bravery. And he's saying, are you sure? Are you sure you're right? He's exposing himself, and the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law are starting to question him. What are you thinking? What are you doing? How come you're not with us? Are you with him? There's a transformation in the character of Nicodemus that is beginning to happen because he was willing to rethink everything that he knew. Now, you fast forward through the book of John, and we end up in John 19, and it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders, kind of like where Nicodemus was. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Read this line together with me. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. There's that phrase again, the man who earlier encountered Jesus. I was speaking at a camp this summer, uh, and I was doing the first session. And after the session, I had somebody come up to me, and they said, Matt Dick? I was like, I'm like going through my head, who is this person? Um, And then I started to clue in. I worked together at camp with this person a long time ago. Uh, about 21 or 22 year, years earlier, I had worked with them at camp. And she said, the last time I saw you was 22 years ago. She's like, you know what the last memory I had of you was? Um, and I, I was like, I don't know if I should be telling the story right now. Uh, we were on a road trip, and she said, you were in the back seat with your good buddy, James. I talked about James a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you guys were making each other pass out in the back seat. Um, I won't get into details what that all uh, is, but uh, I made some very 
bad decisions as a, as a young adult in my life. Uh, and so James and I were, you know, engaging in this activity that was very harmful to us as human beings that we thought was really cool at the time. Uh, she said, this is my last memory of you. Uh, 22 years later, I am sitting in this camp setting teaching her and her children about the kingdom of God and who Jesus is. Uh, the person that I knew earlier in my life, she's like, doesn't match up with the person that you are now. I was like, well, as much as I regret those days, there's somewhat of an encouragement there. This happens to me sometimes at SunWest because I've been around here a long time. People will say, you know, when you were younger, I can take no offense to this, but now, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, who I was earlier is not the person I am today. I think this is the testimony that Jesus wants each of us to be able to tell. Who you were earlier is not the person you are today. In fact, the person you are today is an earlier for some time later in your life. Maybe you were angry, and over time you became more content and peace-filled. Maybe you were bitter. Maybe that's who you were earlier. And later, you're filled with forgiveness and grace. Maybe you were someone that spoke discouragement, or you gossiped. And later you became known as someone who was an encourager that built up. I think this is the type of testimony Jesus wants all of us to tell with our lives. Nicodemus, the one who had gone to Jesus earlier because he was scared, he was trying to protect his reputation, slowly over time started to apply the truth of what he was seeing and what he was being taught to his life and started becoming somebody different than he was. In fact, Nicodemus, the next verse tells us that Nicodemus took Jesus' body and put him in the tomb in broad daylight in the public square. He went from this person that was afraid of being seen with Jesus to putting away the body of Jesus, giving up his career as a Sanhedrin high council Pharisee because he couldn't deny what he had seen. God transformed him. Nicodemus was born again, and then God transformed him. The greatest gift to your world, to your spouse, to your children, to your community, and to yourself is the transformation of your character. This is what God wants to do in you through his Holy Spirit. So really quickly, how do you do that? If God's commanding us to do something that we can't do on our own, how do we even go about it? And we've talked about it a little bit. But just really quickly, if you've never submitted to Jesus to be born again, that is the first step. This is the step of giving up control of your life and saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. This is what Nicodemus did. I realize I don't have the answers. I humble myself. I give my life to you. And we, when we give our life to Jesus, he gives his life, his DNA to us, and we become a new creation. But that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. And so if you haven't done that yet, perhaps today is the day you would choose to do that. We have prayer teams available at the end that would love to pray for you. After you submit your life to Jesus, then start to learn the truth. Spend time in the Word of God, in the Bible, understanding what God is like, what He has said, filling your mind and your thoughts with the things that are of heaven, not of earth. And then apply those truths. 
Part of applying that truth might mean cleaning house. So, and so you're filling your mind with the things that are gone honoring, but now you also have to get rid of the things that have been training your mind and filling your mind maybe for years. And that might mean canceling certain subscriptions or putting parental controls on a device even though you're the parent in the house. This means maybe changing your habits instead of starting your day and ending your day with scrolling on your phone, you're actually starting and ending your day you know, listening to worship music or reading uh, God-honoring books or the Bible, spending time with Jesus. Uh, cleaning house. You're getting rid of things and you're replacing those things with new truth. Be honest in community. I would identify a place in your life that you want to see transformation. You tell somebody in your world that you feel like you can trust. Somebody in your world that will check up on you and say, how is that going? And then lastly, you might want to find a coach. Find a mentor who has been down the road that you're trying to go down. Find someone who you know earlier in their life were like this and later in their life they were like this and you want to be like that so you say, hey, would you mentor me? Would you disciple me? Would you help me actually learn to do, to be who you are, like you are? Find a coach. And so just before we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I would like you to invite you to identify an area in your life that you would love to see transformation in. Just close your eyes wherever you are. An area in your life that you would love to see transformation in. An area in your life that someday down the road you hope that people would say, hey, earlier in your life you were like this, but now you're like this. And so the question is, have you individually, just in a general way, even submitted to Jesus to be born again. And if you haven't done that, that would be the invitation. But giving that, invita- giving that area to God, what might it mean for you to learn the truth and apply that? To fill your mind with new thoughts, with true thoughts. Secondly, what would it look like to clean house? What are the things that you are actually looking at, exposing yourself to that is enforcing that behavior or that thinking that you want to get rid of? And then would you be willing to be honest in community? Finding someone else in your life that also wants to see heaven come to earth in your life and tell them. And maybe there's a coach that can help you. Maybe there's a mentor. Maybe there's a counselor or a therapist that can help you talk through these things because God does want to bring transformation in the world but change starts in you and the greatest gift that you can give to the world is the transformation of your character Jesus we thank you we thank you that you came to do what we couldn't do ourselves we thank you that you came to give us a new DNA we thank you that when we say Jesus we give our lives to you you give your life to us But Lord, we know that you don't want us to wait till heaven to be transformed. You invite us to experience transformation today on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we partner with you in what your spirit wants to do in our lives. Lord, we're working not because we need to be loved. We're already loved. We're working not because we need to earn our salvation. We've already been saved. We are working with your spirit to experience the transformation that you want to bring. Lord, give us the courage to do this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Are you willing 
to be transformed, because this means unlearning and being willing to follow Jesus. It means giving up control of your life and choosing to be born again. It means partnering with the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in your life. But I think this is God's desire for all of us. Um, one of uh, the ministries we have at SunWest that I just want to highlight as we close our service is a ministry called Insight, which is a prayer ministry uh, that happens on uh, Monday nights, and it is by appointment. And so if you find that you're just hitting a roadblock in your life and you're having trouble experiencing transformation in a certain area, uh, Insight is a prayer ministry designed to give you insight and listen to what God's Spirit is, is telling you identifying uh, those road blockages in your life, and then what is the truth that God wants to tell you? Uh, what is the thing that he wants you to hear uh, that's going to replace the lies that maybe you have believed for a long time? Uh, and so if you are interested in uh, participating in that ministry or uh, receiving that ministry, I should say, on, on Monday nights, it's by appointment, and so you just email uh, insight at sunwestchurch.com. Uh, there's info cards here at the front. There's also info cards uh, at the Welcome Center uh, if that's something that you're interested in. Again, this prayer team is available at the front. We invite you to come forward if you want to receive prayer for anything. Uh, other than that, I pray that you have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week.